made at Sinai. All sorts of things went on in the wilderness. They're about to go in the promised land and they're renewing those vows. But notice, this covenant is conditional. It's all about the people obeying and observing the commands of the Lord. You could say it this way. The promised land is the Lord's house and his rules are the rules of the land. He's the dad. He knows what he wants. And I realize that we don't like that today, but it's still true for us today. Human beings tend to think they're right, no matter what the topic is. Pride jumps to the forefront and humility is pushed aside daily. This can be true even for followers of God. We're all sinful and daily need to die to ourselves to let our Lord in. Pastor Daniel reminds us today that we need to let God dictate what we do. After all, he actually is right. Today's message contains mature things that may not be appropriate for children, so please be aware. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 27 with part two of his message, Blessings and Curses. What he also says here is he says, when you go over, I want you to set this up. And he keeps saying, the Lord your God, the Lord your God. And every time I read that phrase, the Lord your God, because it's, The word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when you find that in your translation, that's God's personal name. They call it the tetragrammaton, four consonants. The Yud, the He, the Vuv, and the He. You guys got all that? You guys got your Hebrew down? Just just write down, right? Yud, He, Vuv, He, and your friends will think you know Hebrew. But it's the I am who I am, right? And then the Lord your God, that word God is the word Elohim, which is another. But notice in between, it's the Lord who's God, your God. And I love this because with God, it's always personal. See, God is not content to be the God of your parents or the God of your spouse or the God of your neighbor. He wants to be the Lord, your God. It needs to be personal. See, that's the kind of God who created and sustains everything. That is the type of God who sent Jesus to die on a cross, a God who desires it to be personal. It's personal for him with you. And he wants it to be personal for you with him. And every time I read this, the Lord your God, I'm always like, man, I love the fact that it's personal for God. Like, this is family for God. He cares about this. And he doesn't want any of us to take this lightly. Are you the kind of person who's taking it lightly? Are you allowing it to be the Lord, my wife's God, or the Lord, my husband's God, or who is the Lord, my parents' God, or my grandparents' God, or the Lord, my aunt's God? Or the Lord, my child's God? Or is it the Lord, your God? Because that's what God's really interested in. He cares about you. I mean, what more does God need to do to show you how much he cares? He sent his own son on a rescue mission just for you. I mean, I have a son. I mean, what it would take for me to be willing to send my son on a suicide mission to buy people back? You think it's not personal for God? I mean, it's deadly personal for him. What more does he need to do to show you that he cares so much for you? He'd go to the most extravagant lengths for you to be part of his family, for you to be able to experience the life you were created to live, 
So make it personal. Allow the Lord to make it personal for you. Now, again, it's this land. I love the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that's a phrase that, you know, we don't think a whole lot about because we live in a day and age of supermarkets where you can, you know, you can buy honey and you go to the farmer's market, you can get, you know, all different types of milk and you get goat milk and unpasteurized goat milk and fat milk and not so fat milk. And you can get honey of all different types and sorts. But you got to realize in that culture, a land flowing with milk was a land that had great grazing land for cattle. Long before there was the dairy industry, a land that was good for grazing in the middle of the desert is an amazing thing. And flowing with honey, honey was the only sweetener. It was long before high fructose corn syrup and stevia, if you're a hippie or whatever your thing is, you know, and just good old fashioned, I like brown sugar. I like honey was the only sweetener. And a place where there's great grazing land and there's sweetener, it speaks of a, a good land. An amazing place to be. Sounds an awful lot like the Pacific Northwest. Right? God's country, right where we live, right here. See, I love this. God's inheritance for his people is a good land. He wants, to, he wants them to be blessed and safe and to have all their needs fulfilled in this land that he's bringing. But part of this involves them honoring him and doing the things that he is saying, this is what I want you to be doing. Now, as we continue on, notice what it says in verse 4. It says, therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God and you shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. So when they go over, once they get to this place called Mount Ebal, which we're going to see once we get to the book of Joshua, there he wants them to set up an altar. Now notice, he doesn't want them to use hewn stones or iron tools. He wants it to be whole stones. Why? This is an important thing. You might say, well, why does God care about that? Because God never wants anyone to think it has to do with their work. Having whole stones. This is a rough altar now. This isn't all nicely ornate. This is a rough, because salvation has nothing to do with our effort. It has everything to do with God. And God did not want his people to think, yeah, man, the reason God accepts these sacrifices is because I did such a good job on the stonework. So when God puts those things, it seems inconsequential, but God is talking about something way greater. And he says, when you go there, I don't want any iron tools. I don't want you guys to, it's going to be whole stones. You're just going to pick up fine stones. You're going to put them together. It's going to be a rough altar. And there, I want you to do burn offerings and peace offerings. Now, what's beautiful is, of course, the burn offerings were sacrificed as unto God, totally consumed on the altar, and the fellowship offerings or the peace offerings were part of the communal meal. So there's things for God and things for the people. Now, you have to realize this. That's a great definition of the Christian life, isn't it? That there are parts of our lives that are purely for God, and there's part of it that's for us. Like I always say, when God redeems somebody, and that means to be bought back from slavery, just like the children of Israel, each one of us have been bought back if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, let me just say this. I bet there's some of you here today, you've never allowed Jesus to redeem you. I'm here to tell you that by the end of this year, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, I want Jesus to buy me back. I want to experience this redemption. 
See, when you are redeemed, your life is a living sacrifice to God. You are his, right? But God also redeems you from something, and then he puts you into the family of God. We call it here a family of faith. That everyone comes from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different educations, different parts of the world, but we come together, and God makes us a family. And so I love it. It's the sacrifice. The burnt offering is for God. It's all consumed on the altar. And then there's this fellowship offering and this peace offering that they get to break bread together. And that's the way God designed it. See, we live in a day and age where people like to say, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. And I would say, let me put it this way. If the church is the bride of Christ, if you say, I like you, I don't like your wife, what am I going to say? I'm going to be like, yo, peace. Now, I'm not saying that the church is perfect. The church is a bride in the process of being transformed by Jesus. So the church has got all sorts of issues, crossroads included. We're a bride being prepared for her wedding day. How many of you guys ever met Bridezilla before their wedding day? (laughs) On that wedding day, she's beautiful and everything's perfect, but leading up to it, look out. (laughs) Sometimes the people of God can be like Bridezilla. But in the end of the day, The people who have been born again are still the bride of Christ, the apple of his eye. So even though the church isn't perfect, God wants us to learn how to work through it all. That's one of the things I love so much about you guys here as the Crossroads family. We're all learning how to work through all this stuff together. Preferences and likes and dislikes and these things and all these things go on. But we're committed to saying we are going to let the Lord grow us through all this different stuff that goes on. And that's just life, isn't it? Life is learning how to grow through all the tension. But I love it. There's something for God, and there's something for the people. Now, what's also beautiful about these verses here is that, notice in verse 8, it says, and you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Now, you notice, first he told him to write it on the stones, then he says, I want you to write it very plainly or clearly. Why? Because God actually wants to be understood. See, This is my thing, and this is something that's really passionate, and that's also part of what I believe God's calling on my life, is that I love so many Christian pastors, but like you have to have been in church your whole life to understand what the heck they're talking about. And I'm like, we need to make it plain for normal people. We need to take these amazing concepts, and we need to bake it down. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's, like I have people, they say to me, like, I love what God's doing at Crossroads, but I'm going to go over there because it's deeper. It's like, no, really what that means is that It's for people who've been in church their whole life. So they use all the big words. I don't use all the big words. I know them. But I'm like, who cares what the big word is? Everyone's just trying to figure out how to live their life. Why? Because God wants it taught plainly. He wants it to be clear. Pastors forget that everyone's not reading theology books every day like a pastor is. Like if you're a mechanic, right? If your job is to fix engines every time something new comes out, what do you do? You read about it. You figure out how it all works. So you can take why? Because that's your vocation. Every time, if you're an educator and they have a new study that comes out, what do you do? You read the book on education. Why? Because you're an educator and you need to stay really up on all that stuff. But the average person, they just want their kid to get educated. You go to the mechanic, they don't care how many books you read. They just want their car to work. And I think that when people come to church, they just want to hear, how does the gospel bear on my real life? And who cares about all these people arguing about this theology and this theology? We'll talk about the theology, but what does this mean for life? And so make sure, brothers and sisters, that you, in your sharing of the good news of Jesus, you make it plain for people. 
Start with where people are. Talk in a language that the average person can understand. Because what I want to tell you, where we live in the Pacific Northwest, most people don't spend a lot of time in church. They don't have the whole back history. And then, of course, you have the people who've been in church for a long time. They're always trying to find a new church because they got itching ears because they've heard all this stuff already. And that's a whole other discussion for another day. But that's what happens. But it completely misses because God wants these things to be plain. He doesn't want it to be left up to chance. Well, I don't really understand. It's like, no, write it plainly so everyone can understand it, so that it makes sense. Now, in verse 9, we have this command. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Now, what's interesting about this He's not saying that they weren't the people of God before, but we're at this place where it's being reaffirmed. This is a renewing of the vows, so to speak. The vows were made at Sinai. All sorts of things went on in the wilderness. They're about to go in the promised land, and they're renewing those vows. But notice, this covenant is conditional. It's all about the people obeying and observing the commands of the Lord. You could say it this way. The promised land is the Lord's house and his rules are the rules of the land. He's the dad. He knows what he wants. And I realize that we don't like that today, but it's still true for us today. God's ways are the best and the right ways, even if we don't agree with them. And I'm here to tell you, I've walked with Jesus long enough to have gone through a million different examples of, I don't think God's ways are right, but as I get older and as I have more experiences and as I pray more about the things I don't agree with, I realized that God is infinitely smarter than me. It just took me a little while to figure that out. And I know it sounds hysterical, but the creator and sustainer, anything that I could come up with, God already has known. And when me and God have a disagreement, I'm always in the wrong, kind of like my wife. You husbands know what I'm talking about, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Even when you're right, you're wrong. Our wives are godly that way. They know how this stuff goes. But God always knows. He knows. And so we need to make sure that we are obedient to the commands. Now, from here, look at what happens. In verse 11, now Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, verse 12, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when they have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So what you have is you have the separation, the division of the tribes, six tribes on Mount Gerizim pronouncing the blessings, and six tribes on Mount Ebal pronouncing the cursings. Now it's interesting that the descendants of Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, are on Mount Gerizim, and then you have the concubines' kids on the other mountain, by and large. So why that is, we can do a lot of speculating, but that's a, maybe a discussion for another day. I can get bogged down and stuff like, well, what does this have to do with my life? That's what you're going to say to me. Like, what does it have to do with my life? I think that would be an honest question at that point. But what we're going to see now is we're going to see on whom and why do the curses fall. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see on whom and why do the curses fall. Now, again, what I'm going to read to you now is got some um, adult mature subject matter. So if you have young kids who are listening to this, this is the moment you probably want to take them, have them go watch some cartoons or something, or go into our kids' ministry. Uh, And if you are somebody who uh, don't like 
more mature subject matter. I didn't write this. I'm, the Holy Spirit did, so it's not my fault. But I'm going to tell you about it either way. So look at what it says. It says in verse 14, And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, first in verse 15, Curses the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. Cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed, and all the people say, I want you guys to say amen a little bit more excited. Here we go. Verse 21. Curses the one who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people said, amen. That's right. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people said, Amen. amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, amen. amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, these are commonly called the dodecalogue. Now, that's a big word, but deca is 10, so dodec is 12. So just like you have the Ten Commandments, they call it, some scholars will call it the decalogue. This is the dodecalogue of Mount Ebal. It's the 12 curses. And a lot of these are recapitulations of the Ten Commandments. But what you find by the time you get to the end, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law. You find out that these 12 curses are meant to be representative of a whole way of life for the children of Israel. And I would say also for us. So now if we take them one at a time, you notice back in verse 15, curses the one who makes a carved or molded image an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen and sets it up in secret. Now this first curse covers the Israelites' relationship with the Lord. And really what this does is it covers the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make any molded images. So any sort of statue or anything that you would make that you would bow your heart down and worship to, that's an abomination to the Lord. Now, that was very common in Near Eastern culture. It is still common today if you go towards Eastern countries. In America, we're kind of too sophisticated for that, but we do worship little green pieces of paper with dead presidents on it or their equivalent on our bank account. The things people will do for money. And so really, whatever it is that's the driving passion of your life, that will be the thing that drives your life. And God wants to make sure that our lives in him are guarded. Do you have something or someone that is competing for the affections of God in your heart as that primary place? If you have one of those, God already knows it, and you need to confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I am going to turn away from that. And what I find for a lot of believers is that oftentimes they take a really good thing and they make it the most important thing, which actually chokes the joy out of those things. Whether it's your family or the idea of a family, whether it's your career or the approaching of it, these things aren't bad. 
But when you make them the most important thing, now all of a sudden you lose your ability to really enjoy these things. So we have to make sure God has that primary place in our hearts. So it starts with that one. Now, from there, of course, it says, and all the people shall answer and say amen. So all the people, that word amen, I like to say, if you want a good definition for amen, it's true that. (laughs) Or so be it. It's a verbal affirmation that what is being said is the truth. That's why I like to say true that. So when you see amen, you can say true that. People think you're cool or not, but that's what I do. In verse 16, the second curse, cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. So obviously the second curse falls on one who dishonors his family. Of course, this is stated positively that you should honor your father and your mother in the Ten Commandments. And the Apostle Paul speaks about it in the book of Ephesians as the first commandment with promise. And so God cares about the family. Now again, God cares about the family. The problem that we have, like when we're talking about marriage or family, is that God wants things to be in the ideal state. And sometimes some of us have had horrible parents. Some of us had parents who were anything but godly influences on their life. And so how do you not show contempt for somebody who scarred you, hurt you? But the idea is, is that God realizes that the family is the primary discipling unit in society. That's why in our culture we are seeing the breakdown of our culture because of the breakdown of the family. That's how it works. There's God's design for a man and a woman raising their kids together, figuring out how to do life. That's God's plan. And so when that starts to break down, then all of a sudden society starts to break down because everything that we learn as kids, we are being socialized by our parents. Like I always say it, how many of us said, I'm never going to be like my parents when I grow up. Yeah, almost everyone, except those of you who sit next to your parents, you're like, me too, my mom's right there. Fusco, that's my dad. But me, definitely. But you know what's happened when you get older, right? You take on a lot of your parents' traits. I'm not saying that if your parents were abusive, you're going to be abusive. That Jesus changes a lot of things. Like, I always laugh. I'm raising kids. My dad comes out of my face all the time. I'm just like, wow. I always told him I was never going to be like him. And I say things, I'm like, that's my dad. Even then, I'm like, good job, Tom Fusco. That's my dad. Because my dad comes out. Because your parents have a profound impact on you. Those of you who are parents, don't ever forget that. Those of you who are grandparents, don't miss that. God also created nuclear families to have grandparents. You know, I was just talking to my grandma. I talked to her every Wednesday on the way into church. My grandma just turned 90. My grandfather was 93. They just celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary, just like two weeks ago. I just love these little people, you know, like they're like a second set of parents. My grandma said to me today, she's like, Daniel, God has blessed us with so much love in our family. And I was just like, man, yeah, and my grandma, and it's a lot of it has to do with you. Because my grandma's just that girl. She just loves everybody. She'll take the food out of her mouth and she'll stick it in your mouth. She loves you that much kind of weird, but it's beautiful, you know? So God wants us to honor as best as we can our father and our mother. Don't treat them with contempt. Jesus is real. The role families play in our lives is crucial to how we conduct ourselves as adults, but also contributes to society as a whole. When there's no godly guidance, the next generation won't have any reason to honor their parents or change for the better. 
Today, Pastor Daniel pointed this out to remind us that our families are extremely important. We need to let God into our homes and raise the next generation to honor Him. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel We'll share some reasons behind God tackling uncomfortable topics in the book of Deuteronomy. These practices need to be addressed because God wants us to live better. He has great plans for each of us, but we won't be aware of them when we're seeking fulfillment elsewhere. We need to focus first and always on God. This upcoming message, again, may not be suitable for young children. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Cause and Effect. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.